this is a topic that most of our listeners are going to be super interested in because the metaverse, virtual reality, that could well be the future. In fact, you say it's our next reality. It's actually very timely given all that's happening the last year with AI and then, you know, this last few months with uh, VR and AR and everything is all top of mind, uh, the topics that we're going to be discussing today. I'm Isha Da Vinci. This is the Grift Podcast, conversations to get you ready for the future. What is the metaverse? Is it really a thing? Are we all going to be living and working in 3D digital worlds? Will we just lay around with headsets on and lose touch with reality? Is Ready Player One the actual future? Or is the metaverse just some stupid idea cooked up by the tech bros that will never, ever happen? My guest today is going to answer all of your burning questions and more. So let's dive in and get ready for the future. Okay, so let me introduce you to the audience so they understand who you are. Alvin Wang-Graylin is a technology pioneer, entrepreneur, executive, and thought leader with 30 plus years of experience delivering innovative products in the AI, XR, and semiconductor industries. He's the co-author of the new book, Our Next Reality, How the AI-Powered Metaverse Will Reshape the World. Having built his foundation in VR research at the Human Interface Technology Lab over 30 years ago, Arvin has also developed his expertise in AI and natural language processing after extensive studies at the University of Washington and MIT. In his recent professional journey, he served as the China president of HTC from 2016 to 2023 and continues to, to contribute as global VP of corporate development at HTC, which is a global leader in the VR AR space. His broad operational experience also includes global P&L roles at multinational corporations like Intel, Trend Micro, WatchGuard Technologies, and IBM. Alvin holds an MS in Computer Science from MIT, where he specialized in AI, and an MS in Business from MIT's Sloan School of Management on the Entrepreneurship and Operations track. He also earned a BS in Electrical Engineering from the University of Washington, focused on VR, AI, and CPU architecture. He was born in China during the Cultural Revolution and emigrated to the U.S. in 1980 as the country's reform period started. He's recently relocated back to the U.S. after almost 20 years working, living in China during its internet mobile boom, and is currently based in Seattle, Washington. What a journey, Alvin. How did you... Tell us how you became you. Like, the Alvin you are today... Born in China, first nine years there. It probably goes back a little bit even before me because my parents probably have even a more interesting story than me, uh, particularly my mom, who is uh, half uh, Scottish American and half Chinese. And her uh, mom was a reporter for the New York Tribune who came to China during the Sino-Japanese War to report on the war and had her, but then had to escape from China as the Japanese uh, invaded Shanghai. And so she left, um, or my grandmother left my mom in uh, China during that period and had to escape. And she was wrapped in gauze and had to be pretending to be a, a, a leopard so that the Japanese guards wouldn't touch her when they went through the checkpoints. So um, the fact that that all happened and they survived, and, and because she was able uh, to grow up in China uh, and you know uh, she was able to meet my dad, and she is a ballerina, so she was a ballerina for the Beijing Ballet Troupe, 
and then later started the uh, Guangzhou and Shanghai Ballet Schools. And my dad was a professor of arts at the uh, Guangzhou Academy of Fine Arts. So they're they're both artists, uh, one in you know performing and one in more uh, art history and and um, and uh, painting and 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 calligraphy. But then. Uh, because of their art background, uh, during the Cultural Revolution, they were both sent to re-education camp, which is where I was born, actually. <laughs> Whoa! So, um, so I, I my, my first few years was actually living on a tea farm uh, in what was a renovated um, chicken shed. Wow! Uh, and um, in fact, the, the funny thing is, that we we might not have even had that issue, and except my mom was a little bit rambunctious. She her ballet school is being shut down by Mao Zedong's wife. And so she wrote a letter to her saying, please don't shut down my ballet school. You know, arts and culture is so important. And uh, a week later, she got notified and said, hey, you know, uh, you need to be reeducated. So, you know, go to the farm immediately. <laughs> so it was, um, I guess, her, her her love for the arts that kind of set that thing all in, in motion. Um, wow. But luckily, uh, nine years later, um, she was able to contact the consulate at the U.S. Embassy, who then found her uh, mom's brother, who was living in Seattle, and and uh, was able to help communicate and create that connection. And he sponsored us to come to uh, the U.S. in 1980. So it's a bit of a, a long answer to your question. This is a movie. I started. This is a movie. It has to be. What a beautiful story. Mm-hmm. How did your mom, she's half Chinese. Yeah. How did she, yeah. was that a negative for her growing up? I mean, how did she handle it? Yeah, I mean, because she, she was very visibly not fully Chinese. Exactly. Right? So, uh, and, you know, I, I'm only a quarter and I and a lot of people get me mixed up and they, they think I'm different uh, ethnic origins. So, um, and, you know, particularly during the, the Cultural Revolution where, you know, Western thought was definitely uh, shunned. <laughs> So, so it, it, you know, she 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 probably suffered quite a bit during that period, um, and you know, and and you know, I, I this this could go all on a yeah, long yeah, time, yeah, but yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but I mean, so she she you know she she was able to get us over to China or to to the U.S. and and pretty much when we landed, my my father said, hey, you know, to my brother and I, I said, hey. You know, we we sacrificed a lot to get you guys over here to the U.S. so that you can get a a, uh, a Western education and you know be in a more free society. So make sure you take advantage of it and and really uh, try to go to a good school and and try to contribute to society. Right, and and that's kind of been my my personal mission uh, since I was nine. Um, how how and you know how the, is this story? Hmm. So you have this deep understanding, and then and, and then of course recently you've been back to China working there for yes. a long time. You work for a Taiwanese company, which is that's a whole other conversation we could go into. <laughs> but clearly, you, yes. you know a lot that maybe the rest of us don't. You understand things that maybe that many other people do not understand because you lived on both sides of this geopolitical divide, so to speak. How does has that informed your journey here and what you prioritize in life? Like why, how has all of this shaped you and what you see as valuable and significant, important, or has it not? 
it, it, it has a lot, and 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 particularly, I think, and also, I don't know if I mentioned, but I'm I'm also a quarter Ashkenazi Jew because of my grandmother's uh, heritage, and so so I I, I definitely have a, a foot in a lot of different camps, mm. and and because of that, it I think takes away some of the natural bias that people would have because they grew up in one particular region or one particular nation or one particular race, and they feel. Uh, there's a particular one that's right or wrong. Mm. And I I think that the problem today is no matter where you are, um, the politicians and this culture uh, creates an us and them. It it, it puts everybody in in group as the good guys and everybody else as bad guys. And, And I understand why that happens because that's the way for governments and for society and for cultures to to bond each other together to control people it's a great tactic yeah, yeah absolutely i mean it's a it's a it's a tool for manipulation for for thousands of years yeah. um but the, the the fact that i've got these foots in different places and, and i have friends in all of these different places um i hear everybody's perspective right. and and there's there's truth in everybody's perspective mm. right i think i think that's something that that uh, a lot of people don't want to admit is that they think that oh we have the right truth the and everybody else's we have the whole truth the, and, yeah, yeah. And, and you know they they're they're being manipulated or they're they're their propaganda is influencing them they're being brainwashed and the reality is that there are no good guys and bad guys there mm. is only us and them and no matter depends on which perspective you are you know their their truth is right for them Right. And I, I think that's something that um, that changes a lot in terms of how I view things and how I listen to things. And I try to and that gives me more balance. Right. Because it takes away the, the bias and it allows you to also you know, step in the foot of the other person, which is very difficult for most people to do. And which I think, curiously, um, VR is going to help us do incredible things in that arena. I, I can't agree more. In fact, I, I had my team do a study on this during the during the uh, the pandemic, mm. and you know when people are locked in, and they, they there was more uh, kind of the the deglobalization that was happening. What we found was that when you make people go into a VR experience and they travel to another country, they actually become seventy percent more interested to actually physically go to those places, mm. and they were twice as more. Uh, appreciative of this new culture. Mm-hmm. The problem, in particular in America, only ten percent of Americans uh, ever leave the country. Or you know, if if you can't can't count Canada as a potential you know other country, it's always so much like America. Yeah. Um, and so we did this we did this study that actually got a bunch of people into VR and showed them you know virtual experiences and three D videos and three sixty videos of other countries. Um, and what we found was that. The people who went into these, they were seventy percent more likely to go to this other country uh, than the ones that just watched it on video, right. watched it on a two D screen, and they were uh, twice as interested in learning more about the culture of this other place than the people uh, who only watched it on video. So, you know, a lot of us consume our content on two D video, and and it doesn't bring you that closeness that you can get when you're immersive. So people talk about VR as the empathy machine. And and there's definitely Mm. a lot of truth in that. And I think it's a, it's a great way also to create uh, uh, connections between people that they wouldn't have happened. And particularly now with, uh, with AI and instant translation, we can actually 
break the the language barrier mm. that often happens. So if you can bring people to an immersive experience and have real time conversations with people uh, in a language that you can understand, then I think that that those stats that I just gave would probably double or triple. We're talking so, about um, technology, and I'm really going to go into that in depth in, in more in a minute. But so we're really looking at technology that can transform the human experience and to the point where we have whole new possibilities of connecting with others in a much deeper way. And we know humans are about connection. Humans are about uh, communication, relationships. I mean, really enhance the human experience exponentially. And that's the exciting thing about it, which we're going to get into. Let's not go there because I know once I give you a chance to go, you're just going to take off. Before we get there, <laughs> before yeah, we get I there. think we're going to need more than one hour. <laughs> we can we can go a little longer if you have a little extra time. Okay, so before we get there, sure. one more thing: before, when you get up in the morning, Alvin, what drives yes. you? What moves you forward through the day? What excites you about your work? What are you looking forward to? Um, honestly, it, it it all goes back to that conversation I talked about earlier with my father because he he pretty much said that you know everybody on this planet has a purpose and their purpose is to to contribute the most possible to society in the time that they're here yes. and to do it with the skills that they have yes. and yes. he's like you know your mom and I are artists all we can do is to bring beauty and 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 you know and, and knowledge to the world but what you know you guys have may be different and uh, he said you know you you're probably not as artistically inclined so you should find something else that you're more suited for and so my brother and i both went into engineering and then we both went into business and then we both became entrepreneurs and, and executives mm. so so i think we're, we're, we're taking more of the technology path yeah. and i think technology is a lever yeah. that allows us to do more than we could uh with our physical bodies and our our, our limited uh capacities so um, the fact that, you know, we're living in a, such an amazing time where technology is advancing at, at such a great pace, more so than, than any time in the past. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it, it excites me every day to, to, to wake up and see what new technologies have, have developed and how that technology can be leveraged to, to, for me to contribute more. Uh, in fact, you know, one of the reasons I wrote the book was because I, I see that we are at a important inflection point in our society. And if the technologies that are coming out are not used properly, they could go very, very badly. But if it's used well and we manage it well in the next five to 10 years, we could have a abundant society that could last for millions of years. Right? So, so we are at a, at a real juncture and most people particular people in, in, in positions of power probably are not aware of where things are and, and, and how precarious things could be if we don't make the right decisions. So, so, so I, I, I wrote this book in, together with, with my co-partner, our co-author, Lewis, because we wanted to give a balanced view of where the world is, is headed so that people can make up their own minds and they, they, they see both sides of the, of the picture. And, you know, as you know, most, most books that comes out or most articles, it's uh, bias in one way, yeah. whether it's super positive or it's super doomer. Yeah. And, you know, I, I know that when you scare people, you get their attention, but you have to balance it with a positive answer. You give them hope. Yeah. And the two together will, will give the motivation for people to take action yeah. versus just, you know, selling books or getting more clicks. My next question was, why did you write the book? Okay, so you answered that already. Before we dive into what the metaverse is and these immersive new immersive realities and what that all means for humans just quickly what do you do at HTC i mean what's the company building i want to get a, just a little window into that 
Sure. Sure. So, uh, you know, we we used to be one of the well, actually we used to be the number one smartphone manufacturer in the world. So, and in, in uh, 2011, 2012, we were bigger than Samsung, bigger than Apple, right? Um, so the the and, and we made the first uh, the first actually the first smartphones <laughs> that for 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 um, HDF for Windows phones, and then we made the first Android phones. Uh, and, uh, you know, so, uh, the first, you know, dual camera phones and, you know, the first adjustable, uh, uh, um, uh, you know, for the first 3G and 4G phones were also made by HTC. So a, a lot of, a lot of innovation on the telecom side, mm. but for the last eight years or so, we've been really innovating on the VR and AR side. Mm. So we were the first to come out with full, uh, uh, full scale uh, room scale VR. So you can walk around a room, you can see your hands and your feet and everything is all, all tracked. Mm. Whereas when we came out, uh, Oculus, which was later bought by Meta yeah. um, or bought by Facebook, they were using a, a Xbox controller while you're sitting down and can really just move around with very unnatural ways, right? So so for 2015, 16, 17, we were the, the, the market leader, industry leader, sales leader in that industry. And we were also the first ones to come out with standalone devices. I don't know if uh, the six stop standalone devices, you know, now they kind of the, the meta quest and so forth, you know, they're selling a lot of units because they're subsidizing it. But we actually were the first to innovate with that, the first to innovate with, with, um, with uh, uh, wireless PC VR as well, and you know now we were also the first to innovate with these devices, these uh, thin and light devices that you know look like glasses. These are you know a third the weight of the new Apple devices. So wait, wait, uh, that that's a third the weight uh, of the Apple Vision Pro. Yes, and so yes. so, so, so the, the, this, this device is two hundred grams. Uh -huh. And it does pretty much most of the things that the Apple device does, Ooh. and it's uh, also a, less than a third the price. Right. Taiwan's a, the leader in the AI world. They're they're probably not a leader in AI, but they're definitely a leader in the GPU semiconductor manufacturing. Yeah, uh, yeah. GPU CPU manufacturing. Yeah. And, That's the hardware that's utilized to create all the AI. So let's be honest, who's really exactly. calling the shots? So are you saying that there's going to be a resurgence in the VR? arena I, I think what's happening now is that the technology has been really advancing and you know i, I first started using these things mm. 33 years ago mm. when they were two and a half kilograms they were like six pounds on your head yeah. right now it's 200 grams so this is just you know essentially one tenth the weight or less than one tenth the weight um and you know the 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 devices plus the the workstation they worked on it was three or four hundred thousand dollars now it's you know for a few hundred dollars you can get these you know, probably a better performing what's device the, what's than the we price had of that, back then. Of that when you have a, uh, this is a, about a thousand dollars so and is it going know. to and so is it, it going it, to drop even further as yeah i mean you that's know, how with, it works, with right? all hardware technology the, the the price essentially every year it goes down. you know and the performance goes down the price goes down yeah. <laughs> so uh the performance goes up and the price goes down yeah. so so it, it's something that that technology has been doing for hundreds of years is that we we keep getting better and better things for less and less yeah. money Right. So I, I, I'm uh, very optimistic in terms of where these devices are going. We will be getting to more glasses form factors in the next two, three, four years. Mm -hmm. They will allow us to to have that that essentially all day wear experience. So we're we're connected to to the the internet. We're connected to AIs whenever we want to, making all of us a lot smarter. Right. In the sense of you know when you go out today and you don't bring your phone, you feel kind of naked. Yep. You feel mm -hmm. disconnected. Mm -hmm. 
And in three, four years, when you go out without your smart glasses that has you know VR, AR capabilities, you are going to feel very naked, yeah. probably more so yeah. than you do today. And then after <laughs> that, it's in, implantables. Well, you know, I, I I know that's what people talk about, um, but what I, do I you think, think we're actually your, very your far away point. from that. I uh, and and because I, I I've invested in a, a number of of uh, BCI companies. I, I I've studied a lot of these areas. Mm -hmm. I've talked to people who are in the field, and and we are far away, uh, a lot farther away than people expect for brain computer interface. But, but, um, but with, you know, you you look at what and that you, you look at what the Neuralink just just did, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. And uh, essentially, what what they have done right now is what's been available with the Utah Array for. 15, 20 years, mm. right? They have not made any new breakthrough in terms of what the capabilities of, of EEG signals of putting implants of invasive um, ex, uh, invasive uh, inter computer interfaces. Because mm. they, what they've done right now is they allow you to move a mouse on a screen. Right. They were able to do that 10 years ago, more than 10 years ago with uh, implants from other manufacturers. The, the thing that they have done well is that they've made it a lot smaller. Mm. Right, but it's still limited to just the mechanical portion of your brain. So all it can do is allow you to move a mouse or 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 or, or to pick uh, left or right. You know, it's the the level of fidelity, granularity of that is nowhere near what is being promised to say we will give you a high bandwidth, you know, uh, pipe to computers. We we are not anywhere near there. Right. And the devices that are in there today, they essentially, once you put these um, little pins in your in your in your head, after a year, your body sees it as a as a external intrusion and it, it will put a wrap a plaque around it to keep it from from uh, working. So you actually have to replace it wow. every year to two years. It, 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 it's, it's something that makes sense if you're a quadriplegic. Yes. You don't have any other yes, choice. Yes, yes. You want to be able to, to communicate with people when you have no hands and no ability to talk. Yeah. That makes absolute sense. But for the average person, for the a, a, a healthy human, yeah. there is no reason today or anywhere in the near future to put these chips into right. your head. I, I, right. I don't mind sensors placed in, like, say, on the forehead or in yeah. different parts of the body, but implants... <sighs> It's just a little much. Yeah. And some people will blow it up in a sense of, look, they're already putting this into humans. It's going to, tomorrow, we're going to be putting it into everybody. It, it is not true. Mm -hmm. And and uh, they don't tell you the fact that technology has been around for over a decade. And and it has not progressed beyond that, even with the hundreds of millions of dollars that you know Musk is putting in there. At some point, probably 10, 20, 30 years, I think there's high potential for this, but not in the near term. All right, let's dive in because we want to get to the meat of this. Let's start with the basic questions and then let's go into, this could go, like we say, as we've written in the book, in two directions. There's the positive and there's the negative. There's a probably end up, it's just a combination of both. It's not utopia or dystopia. It's some sort of amalgam. And we really, I think it's our job to ensure that whatever is created or built works well for, for humanity at large. I want to introduce mm -hmm. another term, which is protopia, I, something uh, Kevin that Kelly's, Kevin Kelly mm -hmm. uh, talked about. Yeah, yeah. and, and I, I think that's that's the direction we should be thinking mm -hmm. about, not really extreme, because we can never get to extremes, right. right? So as long as we are doing something today that makes tomorrow better than today, yeah. we are heading in the right direction. And and you're going to asymptotically get to a better place. And you know, accept that in, accept that in the middle, things are not going to be perfect. There will be some level of inequality. Yeah. There will be some people left behind for some period of time you know but but 
overall, we are moving forward, right? Well, look, I mean, I like Kevin Kelly's position. I think he's a little too optimistic because I think in that generation, <laughs> they go in two directions. They're like, technology is all bad or, oh, technology is amazing. It's the most incredible thing that's ever happened, blah, blah. And it is, it is, it is, it is potentially. But we also have to factor in human behavior and power and Shit. what yes. we what we mm-hmm. allow this technology to do and who controls the technology. It all comes down to who runs the technology. And this is the experience we've had over the last two decades with uh, corporate networks, um, how they have co-opted mm-hmm. the free protocols of the internet and utilized it to make trillions of dollars and control and essentially control the discourse and dialogue that humans engage with. And as we have moved from 5 billion to 7 billion to all of humanity being online in some form, who controls what will in very many ways weigh the, the direction we we go forward in. I wouldn't be too optimistic. And because if you take it from a historical perspective, we know there've been dark ages. There've been dark ages. There've been ages mm. when humanity has gone backward. And I think we we have to be vigilant because we can go back. I actually agree with you. I I agree with you completely, which is why we gave both sides of that um, argument to, to show that, hey, this is how bad it could get so that you know you know, you have a choice to get there, actually physically get there, or you have a choice to do a, a mental exercise of getting there and then changing your mind because you want to avoid getting there. Yeah. Right? Now, I, I, I actually do agree with you that we probably, uh, because of human nature, we will need to actually have some crisis before the world wakes up or before, you know, people are, are able to, to, uh, I guess, to fight the, the, the natural tendencies of society or, or of power structures. And, and, um, and, and, of, humans, and of humans, on the other hand, to, to, to inertia, to just sort of sit around and sit on the sidelines yeah. and not engage. I believe for us to have this good topia, protopia, a good future, for this momentum yes. and this trajectory mm-hmm. to be a positive one, we need more people involved in the conversation and the dialogue and engage with technology. We cannot leave it not just for a handful of corporate networks to control the world. I'm not even talking about big tech. Yeah. I'm talking about who are the technologists. Mm-hmm. We need technologists from all walks of life. And, and the purpose of this yes. podcast is to wake people up and say, get involved in the conversation. The future is being decided as we speak. And if you're not a part of it, what the hell are you letting those other people create for you? And so I think that it's I essential. Can, I can't agree. I can't agree more. Yeah. And we, in fact, at the end of the book, uh, there, there is a specific section that says, if you are a policymaker, here are 10 things you need to think about. If you are a, a leader in the AI uh, industry, here's 10 things you need to think about. If you are a technology uh, corporate leader, here are things that you need to think about. And if you're a parent, here are things that you need to think about. And if you are a student right now, here are 10 things you need to think about. And if you are an AI agent that is now, you know, uh, <laughs> looking, scanning this book yeah. to, to try to find out how people think, yeah. here are 10 things I you should it. think about. I love it. Right? I love it. So, so I, 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 I think we are completely aligned yeah. that, you know, if you just leave it on this natural path, it actually will tend towards the negative more than they will tend towards the positive. 100%. I mean, long term, it will come back. Yes. Long term, it will come well, back. But it, it could go out for a long time. When bad things happen, people wake up and say, no, I want something better. But we don't have to go that deep into the dark. We live long enough as a civilization to understand what's going to happen. And enough of us are smart enough to say we can can lead this in the right way. So we're on the same page. Let's get into the nitty gritty. And starting at the very basics, what is the metaverse exactly? 
How will people access it? And, and is it really going to happen? I'm sure you've heard all these sayings that metaverse is dead or VR is dead or whatever, right? And and I, I, I think that the people who say that, they really just don't understand um, what it involves, right? At the, at the end of the day, we as humans have evolved over the last 5 million years, 6 million years or so to live in a 3D world, right? We are optimized. Our senses are optimized for a 3D spatial world. And that is what, you know, uh, makes us feel the most natural. Now, we over the last few decades have forced ourselves to use a 2D screen to communicate, to interact, to create, um, because we didn't have the, the processing power and capabilities and, and the, uh, you know, the artificial intelligence to support having a natural 3D interface. We are now getting to a point where not only is it possible, but it will become the most efficient way for us to interact with each other and with machines. Sorry, sorry to jump in here. They were building the iPhone and then Job says something or the thumbs will learn or something like that. And so we've been acculturated mm -hmm. and adapted to this 2D sort of world that's not really efficient. And you're saying that as digital technology progresses, it's naturally going to progress into this 3D spatial. If you, if you think about how, how has technology moved our, our medium, right? Mm. We, we started with print and, and it was a, a, you know, essentially one dimensional text thing, right? And then we got to radio, which is like one, one dimensional moving waveform that, that gave us audio. Then we went to, you know, uh, essentially TV, which was a, a two-dimensional moving, first black and white, then then color. Mm. And then we went into gaming and, and, and you know, it's kind of two and a half D mm. experiences, right? And interactive. Now you can actually affect the content instead of just consuming the content. And so now we get into 3D worlds where it is full 3D, full immersive and fully interactive. Right. Now, what, one of the other parts of your question earlier is that, you know, you're, you're saying, how will people consume this? So um, initially, I think most people actually will still use 2D screens to consume this 3D content because we don't yet have enough of these devices around. But in the next five to 10 years, uh, we will see that same transition that happened with phones where it took about five years. But after that, everybody had a smartphone. And, you know, we are now spending a lot more time on our smartphones than we do on our computers than we do on. And for the young generation, they don't even watch TV anymore. They just do everything on, on their screens, on their little screens. Right. Pretty soon we're going to do everything on something on your head. Right. So essentially the Internet that we've been building for the last 30, 40 years, that Internet has been a 2D Internet. We are now moving into yes. a 3D Internet. Yes. That, 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 that's the simple way to think about yes. it. We will consume it initially with 2D screens. Yes. We will later on consume it with 3D yes. screens on our face yes. or on our head. Makes, right? So that, that's, that's the simple way to answer it. And I think it's, um, it's a natural progression. trend that is not only possible, but it is actually inevitable. inevitable and and I think that when you explain it that way, people see the inevitability of it because it's already done. It just hasn't been realized yet. In the physical, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, was, was this uh, you know um, the the uh, sci-fi uh, author was saying what was it? Uh, uh, the future is already created; it's just not evenly distributed, yeah. right? And and we are we are definitely you know uh, William Gibson said that, right? And so we are definitely you know seeing that in certain parts of the world, yeah. and you know you see all the the uh, the vision bros going around, and you know I mean it's more for clout, I know, yeah. but that's where. You know, it doesn't make sense when you have a, a, a pound and a half device on your head, but when you have a 30, 40 gram device on your head, that type of, of a living model yeah. will be a lot more efficient. 
right? You're, you're, if somebody else has it and they're going around, they know all this information that is supplemented in, into their views, yeah. into their ears, and you don't have it, you're, you're going to fall behind. Yeah. That's yeah. that's always how it so, that's so. always how it is that that's what propels adoption is with you ha, you're, you're social beings you interact with someone they have access to all of this stuff you're like I need to know that too I better get those things whatever they are <laughs> it doesn't matter what they are so we've agreed the metaverse is happening and it's inevitable but in this book you wrote our next reality how the AI-powered metaverse will reshape the world. Tell us about yes. the role of AI in these immersive 3D worlds. Like what, what happens now that we have not just large language models, but, but all of the things that these multimodal yeah. so AI. The last couple of years, AI has been on you know the forefront yeah, of media of coverage. Really, yeah. AI has been around for 60 yeah, years, exactly. right? Both AI and VR technology were first invented in the 1950s, yeah. right? So uh, people were building these solutions then, and they've had different versions of AI. Right. Now, initially, it was more you know expert systems or programmatic, and then the last 10, 15 years have become more machine learning. Yeah. And then the last two years, because of ChatGPT making that much more visible and accessible, yeah. uh, it's now in people's uh, you know kind of the forethought. Now, the thing to, 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 to realize is that almost every part of what makes a virtual world possible from our tracking to the content generation, to the you know, virtual avatars, to the world generation, to the, to the 3D engines, all of that is AI, right? So everything that makes these uh, experiences possible is AI mm. driven. That, that's why we say AI powered. Mm. Now, the, 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 one of the biggest reasons why these devices haven't taken off is that they're just, it takes so much work to make good 3D content mm. because you have to build these virtual worlds and the 3D models and then the interaction with each one and you're using these tools that takes you know, hours and hours to make a small object. Mm. So it's, it's tens of millions of dollars to make a quality AAA content. What we will get to now is that we are getting to somebody saying something yeah. and then it becomes a virtual world yeah. and then now you can go play yeah. in it. Or I can say, hey, here's my favorite sci-fi novel. I stick it in this engine. I say, can you make a game that looks like this sci-fi yeah. novel and I want to be the hero yeah. and my buddy here can be the hero in there or whatever, yeah. right? And we want to go and live this world instead of just read this world. I think when we get to there and we're not that far as you know last week Sora. or two weeks ago we had for yeah. announcement that is doing that with videos yeah. and then now people are actually taking those videos and then using 3d uh, uh tools to turn them into 3d meshes yeah. which then you can then load into a a, a, a game engine yep. right so all of this the, the workflow is completely being Fair changed mm -hmm. and uh we we will you know very soon i mean not soon but let's say in a two to five year period mm -hmm. we will have the ability for anybody in this world to become a content creator. So, you know, we essentially the, the, the smartphone turned anybody into a, a video content creator because mm -hmm. all you have to have a phone and you can make a TikTok yeah. and you can become a celebrity, yeah. right? With this new world, anybody that has access to the internet or even maybe not even, you may not even need the internet for some of these services because yeah. you could have edge-based uh, processing. Yeah. You can create content that will make you want to put on this headset and be able to learn from it, to experience something from it, to be able to collaborate in it. Right. And in a way that that is a lot more natural than we've ever had before. Where do you see this taking us in terms of art, culture, media, the current forms of entertainment? Yeah. 
how those things are created. Yeah, if if you look at the current model, um, you know, in terms of art and culture mm-hmm. and whatever, a lot of it's being controlled by the big studios or the the music studios or the 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 agents, you know, on the art side, who they're promoting, right? It, it's you're putting your power as a creator in the hands of other people. Right, and and if you're if you're a great scriptwriter, if you don't have a studio to spend hundreds of millions of dollars building and promoting a movie, you're not gonna get it out. Right, we're gonna get to a point where if you've made a good story, you can make a movie, you know, in a matter of minutes or hours instead of hundreds of millions of dollars and years to 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 get that content out. So you bring the power back to the people who are really. The, the the creative class. So I I think it's actually for for a lot of your audience who are afraid of AI, they should be embracing AI. They should think here is my way to be liberated from the shackles of the studio system, uh, that that has you know made me just a cog before. Now I'm the one that came up with that story. I want to be able to realize that story. I have the the best vision of it instead of them hiring some famous director who then you know is being influenced by who the funders are and so forth to change my story. So, so from a, from a, you know, as, as you know, both my parents are artists. So I, I have a special place in my heart yeah, for, yeah. for art and culture. Yeah. Um, and this also allows us to, to have a ability to transfer information and culture beyond the pure Hollywood system. Right now, the biggest ep- export out of the U S is not, you know, devices or it's not, you know, food or oil. It's actually, it's culture. culture yeah. It's, it's, it's music. It's, it's, it's stories, it's it's movies, you know, uh, it's Netflix series, whatever, right? And so if now we have actually anybody in the world can create this content, we have a lot more uh, representative culture versus a, a U.S.-directed culture. I, I, because we, we want everybody in the world to be able to be represented equally. If you look at how much content on the internet today, it's 80% in English. Yeah, it, and, yeah. and yeah, yeah. It, it is not representative of the, 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 the population distribution. There's the positive potential. This could happen, what you just talked about. And... And I see that on the way to that future, the, the disruption is very negative for people who participate in the current system, in the existing system. But I also see where this entirely, this thing goes completely wrong. And we don't exactly get that outcome. We get another outcome with another set of overlords, not the studio system, not the mm-hmm. not the produce big big time producers production houses not the big time agencies the big players in that world they get superseded or replaced by the big tech overlord who now own the metaverse and everything in it and not just the money from the production but Every single thing you do in this world, all the data, all of your sensory behavior, all of your emotions, not just the, what you create in the metaverse, the avatars you create in the metaverse, the stories you create in the metaverse, but your very reality, your sensory reality and experience, all the data of your behavior in that space could, be, could well be owned by a few companies. So 
And, and so I want to talk about that. I want to talk about who owns the metaverse, privacy, identity, security. As, as you know, we, we, uh, we actually have a specific chapter about this and about the concern over security, the concern over manipulation um, by a bigger system, right? And, and I think this is where we actually need to have policymakers step in and, and, and take a bigger role, right? They, Not in the way of, they of don't. reducing innovation. No, but, but, but no, well, they, they, they can, no, let's, be, let's be clear. They're so far behind and as the technology, exponential technology, this, the rate at which the change is happening, they're so far behind. Yes. They don't know what's going on. I, 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 was, watching, I, was, I was watching this um, Senate hearing uh, with the, the top AI leaders, and it was, it was such a joke because they didn't even know what to I, ask. I, I completely agree so with it's, you. It's a, it's, yeah. It doesn't make well, any that, sense. That. We cannot expect regulatory, legislative, and regulatory frameworks to really be the reason that we have this the right infrastructure in place for a future that well, works for people. The big yeah. tech's going to run it. There'll be regulatory capture, and big tech's going to be like, "Yeah, we're running this net. Now we have another sort of one." I completely, I completely agree with you in terms of where we where we are today. Mm -hmm. But I guess my my um, my position is that we have to try, right? If if we don't try, if we don't try to educate that group, then we will we will end up with the. The, the kind of dystopian future that you're talking about, the the control by the technology overlords, Be because um, they, they there there needs to be somebody else putting the voice out of the voice of clarity, right? And and again, this is this is the main reason I wrote this book because I I wanted to to give that voice to allow somebody to 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 take it in a simple way to allow these policymakers to read something. Right, that that is digestible. That is that is unbiased or less biased. Right? I mean, there's always bias of at least me and my author, but at least we're we're biased in, the, in our ways that we are both giving both sides of it. Yeah, it's right? brilliant. I'm one of those people who's come to believe that we need technology that itself is decentralized and transparent and can afford pr privacy. So it has to come at the tech infrastructure level. Let's let's get on to the positive side of this. I one of the exciting things about immersive worlds and virtual reality and this kind of new technology, which you know so well, it, it can transform health and medicine. It can mm -hmm. transform education in the most incredible yeah. way. Tell us about that, the positive value of these technologies. Well, the, the, the good news is actually, I, I've been thinking about this for over 30 something years. Mm -hmm. When I first studied VR, my, my paper, my research paper was, how do we take uh, immersive technologies and disrupt education, mm. right? And and the, the more I look at this, and over the last, you know, unfortunately, the conclusion of my paper was in the next ten years, everybody will be using this. It's <laughs> going to be amazing. Our education system is going to be totally disrupted. Uh, I was a few decades off, yeah. right? So, but I talked to educators all over mm. the world, and I'm I'm seeing that they are now being open to this message. Mm. I'm I'm seeing, you know, not just a two uh, about three four weeks ago, I was in Qatar mm. uh, at the the Wise Conference. It's the a, the yearly the largest education conference in the world yeah. and they are bringing educators to talk about how technology should be implemented and people are are trying to you know write papers about how do we change the pedagogy how do we how do we get people off of these old systems and now with ai together with immersive tech we actually have kind of a, a two-prong attack where you allow uh full brain learning with immersive tech which you know, as we as we all know, you know, you you remember like ten percent of what you see, like you know, twenty percent of what you hear, whatever, fifty percent of what you do, and then you learn you learn more when you actually start teaching, right? So when you do these things, 
immersive tech allows you to use all of those senses. And you have something else that we didn't have before, which is you are now soon able to have a personalized teacher tutor yeah. that is with you 24-7. Yeah. You know, the classes like these classes I have right here, yeah. they actually have built-in AI and they have a camera, they have microphones. Now, I... If, if I want to enable them, this one doesn't right now, but this if I want to enable a future version to have an always listening mode and it can actually hear all my conversations and be able to guide me and be that patient unbiased teacher, that tutor that is, sits, sits on my shoulder. Yeah. And you know, there's been studies already uh, over multiple decades yeah. that shows that one-to-one -one tutoring is multiple uh, you know, uh, orders of magnitude. Actually, probably I, I would say it's a standard deviation, two standard deviations plus mm. uh, in terms of improving quality of, of learning mm. when when you have one-to-one -one versus a large class, wow. right? Yeah. And this is one-to-one, -one, yeah. but then it's one-to-one -one from a all-knowing teacher yeah. that knows everything about history and math and science and all the things that you know no single human can actually do yeah. today you know we are now bringing that making that available to anybody can afford you know a hundred dollar piece of hardware yeah i think that's that's where where it's is uh going to be super amazing in terms of elevating the 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 quality of knowledge of humans in general yeah. Right? And that will actually get across the, the, the issue that you had earlier is all these all of these policymakers are not educated, they're not up to date, so forth. But now if we can put these glasses on them and they can turn them into really, really smart people, no matter what their age is, that that is uh I think I think that gives me hope, right? So technology so may be what helps helps bring itself into this positive cycle. That's that's perfect. Go go to the Senate herring. We plop the device on their heads. We're like, use this and learn. Yeah. Understand what we're talking about. Okay. You, in the book, you talk about why immersive education is better, it's superior, uh, how we, we are more stimulated. There's more blood flow to the brain. We're learning on orders of magnitude mm -hmm. more. But you also have this lovely mm -hmm. chart. It's called How Schools Can Be Reimagined. You have a today and you have yes. a future. A fixed curriculum versus a bespoke curriculum. Can you think of it? The system of sitting 30 kids in a classroom mm -hmm. and they're all going to sort of learn blah, blah, blah. Always learning to the lowest common denominator today. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any yeah. sense. I mean, you're, you're, you're limiting people. You're limiting. Oh. You're not giving ones who needed information a particular way, uh, the way that they need to learn. They're sitting there. It's Sitting is a terrible way to learn. Um, you talk about rewards raw work, current schools, and then future schools, and a VR immersive school breeds curiosity and creativity. Current schools are test-driven. VR schools build critical thinking. Current school focuses on individual performance. A VR school, immersive school, develops collaboration. We need this now. If we think about it, one of the biggest problems we face as a globe is we have these exponential technologies that are sort of just avalanching upon us, transforming mm -hmm. everything. Yes. We, we know, we think we know, rewriting the past because so much of what we know to be true is, is a version of history that was determined or written by the conquerors. So it's very biased. A lot, yes. Everything's changed. Everything's changed. What we think we know, what we believe, all gone. And nobody's ready mm -hmm. and nobody's up to speed. And that's a big problem. But if we have this technology... People can 
catch up super, super fast. So I think this needs to be implemented now. Last week, I was talking to a VC friend and he was saying, so if you're going to start a company, what would you do? And I said, I would probably start a immersive AI university so that um, you you bring all of the things that you just talked about yes. um, with the technology that's happening yes. today. And you can take high quality education, stop making it limited to a few thousand people that can go to Ivy League yes. schools every year. Yes. I mean, it, 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 you, you need that information and that knowledge to be as democratized possible. as possible. Uh, okay, so, so we like that. So some of the big questions I think people would have listening to this kind of conversation is, okay, so are we going to end up with a world where everybody's just sort of online all the time? Well, yeah. I mean, they're already online all the time. It's seven hours a day. We're on the internet. And now with this, in these immersive worlds, are we going to have a scenario where people are just not really engaged with the physical world? And what's that going to do for the human, for the human condition? Yeah. So, so that, that is probably one of the things that, um, worries how, how this technology will ultimately evolve. Um, Although I would have to say that, you know, my, my screen and time is probably over 10 hours a day. And I think the average human right now is actually somewhere over 10 to 12 hours a day. We will essentially have uh, all our waking hours with a screen in front of our face. Because just like I don't, you know, I assume you wear your glasses most of the day. Mm. And, you know, pretty much from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, mm. you're going to have glasses on. And, uh, you know, that allows you to to do two things one is that it allows you to, to to have that information that will feed you what makes you uh what will bring value to you but it could also distract you and particularly in a in an immersive experience now i think for for us who live in the first world and you know we we see being put into another world as a negative because you're 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 not present mm. but for a lot of people in the world unfortunately their their world may just be a bunk bed in the dorm somewhere or or they're they're in a factory yeah. you know dorm that they 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 spend most time working and then they go go back to their yeah, little yeah. bunk and that's all they have and so being able to 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 travel virtually in in these classes to go to another place to see another world to them it's a there's benefit, right? There's value, uh -huh. whether it's to educate or to relax or to or to communicate. Um, I, I wouldn't see being immersed in a not local world always as a negative, right? Uh, for some people, uh, it, it could. Now, the other benefit is I think we will be getting to devices that can easily switch between the two. So instead of now, you know, we're spending seven hours a day looking at our phone in our hands with our head bent down, not being present. Uh, now we can actually be looking up and it only gives us the information that we need to cover when we need it so that uh, we actually have a better way to communicate with people in front of us or, or, or around us. So so there, there, there's there's definitely a trade-off. I, I, don't, I don't think we have a perfect solution uh, yet. Um, but the, the other thing is that the, hopefully you also have an AI system that is monitoring your health, knowing, you know, how much, um, stress you're in, they'll put you into the right mode or right music when, when you're stressed out or give you information to allow you to, to always know where you're going. You know, like before this meeting, if I, if I had an AI agent or an assistant that said, Hey, you went to the wrong link, you know, you should use this link that was just sent to you yesterday. I, you know, I could have reduced some stress from it, right? So, so I, I, I don't, um, I don't know if it's, a, it's, it's a uh, net negative to to have a screen in front of us all the time. I see. Again, people tend to abuse these things. So I, I'm thinking that already mm -hmm. I've seen in the last ten years, uh, uh, sort of a, a splitting of our 
society. We, well, we know that. That's algorithmic-driven content online designed to outrage and silo people mm-hmm. and all of that. We understand that. But yes. the reaction is for pe- people are just sort of very isolated. A lot of them, they're just, they don't have young people. They don't have friends. They don't have relationships. A large percentage of young men who have not even one friend and women as young women as well. And so we see this happening. And my concern is people ending up just living in an online world, which can be satisfying in emotional ways, but we still have a physical body. We still have to procreate. We still have to, the things we need to do physically. And so uh, my concern is that there is that, there are always going to be people who transcend and are above the systems or run the systems. And then there are going to be people who are at the top of the pile. But I could see a large percentage of humanity just being users and my concern is this is not necessarily a healthy way to use technology for, for the sustenance of our body. So, so I, I actually discussed this specifically in, in the book because um, based on our studies, we found that immersive social experiences are actually twice as addictive as current 2D mm-hmm. social experiences. And so it actually forces us to, to confront the issue that how do we keep that from being a long-term negative? Mm. And what we did find is that if uh, there are three ways to essentially uh, mitigate some of these issues. Mm. One is to give them a reminder in the beginning when they put on, like, you know, you know don't use it more than X hours a day, you know, which actually works better with, with females and with uh, older adults. Right. Um, but doesn't work too good with young kids. Right. Um, and then there's the kind of, you know, every hour or so remind them uh, that, that says, uh, you know, maybe you should take a break or whatever. And then there's the kind of third, uh, more extreme model is after, you know, two hours, it forces you to take a break. Uh, the system actually shuts down and, um, and uh, you know, essentially allows you to go and spend time outside, right? So uh, what we found was that for the, the majority of people, actually the second model worked fine. Um, that if you just kept reminding them, uh, they'll get bugged enough that say, okay, yeah, you're right, okay. actually, go take a break. But for some, particularly young males, uh, the third model was actually the most effective. Mm. That essentially just says after two hours, three hours, shut we down. shut you down, go take a half hour break before you can restart again. And you know, initially there was a lot of um, negative sentiment from those users to say, hey, well, don't control me. But what we found was after about 10, 20 days, um, the acceptance became fine. They were okay with that model. So uh, what, what that tells us is that um, if we wanted to, uh, either the system providers or the network providers or the the platform providers can install these type of of um, kind of safeguards to to help maintain some level of balance between virtual and and physical world usage. So so I I, I think there are there are definitely ways that we can get around it. I I, I don't know if every um, Every platform will will be self motivated enough to do these things, but you know this is where maybe there needs to be some regulation at some point. Uh, and and again, like you're saying, it, it probably requires some some bad things to happen to a few sure. people before people wake up and yeah. say, "Hey, we should probably look into this." Many of us have a fear and aversion to the new things, new technologies, technologies that disrupt, uh, just sort of uh, shake us up and make us have to change. But humans adapt. This is what we do. We do really, really well. And we, we can adapt. We can learn how to manage these technologies. We can learn how to be masters of this 
new technology and not just uh, victims of it. Um, and all of this is part of the process. Even having these conversations, you're writing this book, us pushing back against big tech. I mean, lo a lot of these things are part of the process of humanity moving forward and adapting to this whole new layer of possibility in the world. You know, it's interesting because if you think about it, for as long as humans have, have existed, we have had to transcend nature and the forces of nature. Not doing so well right now. But now we have this whole new force that has entered the game and that's digital technology and all the things that can these things can do. And now we have to adapt and adjust. And, and yeah, for a while we may feel like, oh my God, we're failing. But the, the great thing about humans is we can change, we can grow, we can adapt. We're not inanimate objects. And I think if AI is here, we can rise above it. We, whatever's, I don't agree with the whole, by the way, super intelligence conversation at all, not even. I think humans, AI, the AI machine is a machine, can have more information than the human, but the human is always smarter. Yeah, I, I think it really depends on how you define intelligence, mm -hmm. but um, at least based on current uh, limitations of our body, we, we, you know, whether you're talking about, you know, calculating information mm. or, or playing, you know, chess or go or, or creating, you know, protein folding, there's just things that humans are not able to do when you start looking at the scales that sure. computers and, and systems can, can do and the speeds that they work. Sure, sure, I mean, sure. our, our signals in our brains are go about 100 meters per second, right. right? These devices are going at the speed of light. You know, we're working, yeah. you know, maybe eight hours a day and probably two hours of productive days uh, per day. They're going 24 hours a day. So there's just a lot of things that we, I don't think we need to compete with them on pure raw calculations exactly. or intelligence. But yeah. but there's definitely, you know, I, I agree with you in terms of the the human aspect, the emotional aspect, the, the, the compassion aspect. Those are things that is unclear whether or not um, digital uh, intelligence will be able to surpass us in that kind of area in terms of communicating, right? Like what you're doing right now. Mm. There, there's something about a, a human to human interaction that that appeals to us that allows us to to grasp the information more if i just saw a avatar robot talk to me i probably wouldn't be too connected to that right. person exactly so so in terms of raw intelligence i i, I think it's hard for us to compete on raw intelligence uh, but in, in emotional intelligence there may be something that that we can still fight with the <laughs> machines on for some time this kind of goes to where where we should be thinking about for our next generation of kids, right? What what should we be having them uh, learn these days? If you look at uh, yesterday, a news kiss came out with uh, Jensen Wong, or two days, three days ago. He says, "Oh, you know, you don't you don't need to teach your kids coding anymore, uh, because the the new programming language is just natural voice." Um, I think there's a lot of truth to what he's saying, but I think what's what he's probably missing is that. It's important also to understand when you learn coding, you learn logic, yeah. you learn procedures, you learn the, the 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 give and take of when when things happen, yeah. and you know. So so we need to actually teach our kids a much broader scope of information. One hundred percent. No, code coding and, and STEM is good. Yeah. Uh, it's not the only thing. Right. So so I think he 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 said part of the answer. Yeah. But he didn't give the full the full answer, yeah. which is we need to start teaching people ethics. We need to start teaching people history. Mm -hmm. We need to start teaching people more uh, psychology and and music and art things that were. The non-STEM stuff people used to undervalue 100%. will be increasingly valuable 100%. when the basic calculations and engineering tasks can be done by, by AI. What's interesting how AI has initially disrupted coding itself, but I still, but I think that it's 
mm-hmm. you still want to be a, a programmer. Maybe you're not going to be a straight coder, but you're going to be a programmer. You're going to think about systems. You're going to think about how to utilize this intelligence to create something mm-hmm. that serves a human or humans. And so you still have to mm-hmm. think, uh, understand coding, uh, know how to use it, but maybe you know, you're not going to do it all day long. And then you're not going to do it with the same tools that we used to, where you're using a text editor to to edit code and then go through these compilers and everything. Yeah. We don't need to do that. Right. But we need to understand how does how does a machine work? Yeah. How does it think? Exactly. How does it take the information I'm giving it? Absolutely. Right. Because otherwise, if you if you give the wrong instructions, it may sound like you did something, but it actually it's being misinterpreted yes. because of the way that you phrased exactly. it. Exactly. Right. So those kind of things you have to understand. One of the other things you cover in the book, which I think was really really interesting. The other area where these new technologies are going to be absolutely vital, health and medicine and research. Yeah. Talk about that a little. This is actually one of the areas where there's very little debate is that you know having both AI and XR being applied to various areas of, of healthcare, and particularly, I think, in, in the mental health right. side uh, with immersive tech, where you know I, I was talking to the folks at the VA. Uh, veteran association and they have hundreds of thousands of veterans that come back and they have post-traumatic stress or they have you know just issues in terms of suicidal thoughts and so forth and when they put them into these devices and then they they have these ai coaches that help train them and communicate with them and then brings them back into the 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 different scenarios that they were in so they can gradually move out of it in a way that is desensitizing them you know so i i think there's a lot of value there right i mean the first use of ai was actually eliza or one Mm -hmm. of the first uses Mm -hmm. which was a a a ai psychologist right so so it's kind of it's it's quite quite ironically yeah. or uh, appropriate that that we're we're starting to use it again for for mental health mm-hmm. you know for using immersive tech for relaxation and stress relief yeah. using it for pain relief you know distraction therapy using it for for when people have um uh they, they lose their limbs and and they need to be able to uh, re re uh, reconnect or uh, readjust the nervous system yeah. to be able to uh, get rid of paralyzation or get rid of chronic pain. pain There's yeah. so many things that, that that are proven to to actually work, right? And and for surgery, you know, one of the examples I had in the book was uh, one of the the actually the preeminent um, surgeon for for uh, um, conjoined twins, and he only does head conjoined twins. So your brains are conjoined. Mm. How do you separate? Mm. You have to first do these scans, very detailed scans mm. in uh, using CAT scans or, or other type of, of, of uh, technologies. And then you put it into a 3D model and you plan out the surgery mm. ahead of time. And a lot of times he's doing it across you know national borders mm. so that if you if you weren't if you didn't have this technology there's just no way to, to get these things done mm. you know so it's just amazing to see the the types of, of use cases that that are you know being used for for healthcare mm. and i i think we're going to find even more going forward and you talked earlier about about uh, the you know BCI and Neuralink and so forth, I think for for those quadriplegic types, this type of technology uh, will be a godsend yeah. to allow them to communicate that they before were completely locked in. No, no question. So the next chapter for humanity, here's what I want to do. I'm going to walk through some things, and then I want you to tell us when that's going to happen: 2030, 2040, 2050. Just, just we're just having fun, um, and these are all things that you've talked about in your talks or in the book. So 3D content becomes the norm. First of all, explain what that is and then tell us when you think that's going to happen. 
Well, I mean, right now we're we're you know for the people who are in let's say gaming or people who are you know using Roblox or whatever, they're already experiencing 3D content.、Mm -hmm. There's already actually probably close to a billion people every day using that type of technology. Now we will be getting to more 3D content for the other six, seven billion people probably in the next five to ten years. Okay,、um, it's going to take some time. So 2030. But the good news is that. I think by by 2030, most of this will happen. We will we will be able to have that metaverse、uh, be realized. Okay,、right? and I would think that by that time,、uh, more than half of the people will be using headworn devices to enter it versus using you know、uh, computers or, or phones to 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 utilize it. Okay, and so I guess that covers the other two. So metaverse content will primarily be AI generated and populated by AI. Is that also by by 2030?、Yeah. That's happening that now. That will happen even faster. So as we're, so as I mean, it's being built, that's what's going to be used. That, that's what will enable it.、Yeah. Is, is the fact that because otherwise, if you leave it for humans to do it, it would take, take forever.、Okay. Right.、Um, XR、yeah. devices will supersede smartphones again by twenty twenty seven, twenty thirty. What are you looking at? I, I think it'll be yeah by the end of this by the end of this decade,、mm. all of those things will will happen. The metaverse <laughs> will be the biggest employer on earth.、Um, that's something that we need to think about. Even the concept of employment, right?、Uh, right now, if you look at online worlds, I mean, you know, there are like Facebook has three billion users, right? So in some sense, it's already the biggest country in the world. If you think of it、it's、as one、true. group of people as a country, that is、right? true. So. Uh, we will once we get this metaverse. It actually will, I think, supersede a these private vertical、uh, social networks. Right, we'll essentially interconnect them, and then you can jump between these networks as you as you wish with your personal avatar or your personal identity. Well, depending on how it's well, depending on how it's it's constructed. I mean, depends on they could build their world, their little world、uh, worlds, and and well, not it's not it, interoperable it, it, at if all. We, if we, If we learn from history a little bit, right? I mean, back when the internet first started, I don't know if you remember Prodigy and CompuServe、mm -hmm. and American yep. Online, yep. right? Yep. I mean, they were all vertical wall gardens that were calling themselves the internet. The internet.、Um, and you know, over the decades, they disappeared, right? Because the value of a network is a square of its nodes, right? That's Metcalfe's law. Now.、Um, If you have an open system, you're going to have more users in there, and the more users in there will create more value, and it will start to extract well, tell, the tell vertical users. Tell that to big tech. They're definitely going in the other direction right now. They're blocking interoperability. You can't post links because they want to own all the data. They want to make sure that other tech giants can't steal their data. I mean, that, that was the same. That was the same thing that the CompuServe and AOLs did.、Uh, right? I mean, I'm sure when you used it, you, you only had so so、yeah. many buttons. But after a while, when when we let's say if we start moving from、uh, these. You know, proprietary networks to a WebXR model, and the WebXR model essentially turns every single website into a 3D world, right? And so you can, if I can do that, why do I even need to go to this social network? Why do I need to post on this? I can just post my virtual world, and and people can come see it, the ones that I care about. I I I know it, it seems difficult today, especially with how powerful the the big tech companies are,、um, but. You know, in the long run, I think we we have to look a longer term.、Uh, I think the 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 powers of the network will prevail. Interesting, I love it. I'm all for that open decentralized metaverse. I think that's how it has to be, for it to actually、yeah. serve humanity.、Yeah. Waking time spent in the metaverse will exceed time spent in in the real world. When's that going to happen? Well, in in the sense that we talked about earlier, where if, if the glasses that you have is your 
you know, essentially your okay. doorway to the metaverse. So then it's uh, you're wearing it all the time, you know, pretty much yeah, all your yeah, waking yeah. time. Okay. You know, right now, this my phone. I'm spending somewhere like eight hours a day yeah, on this phone, yeah. looking at the phone. Yeah, it's true. You know, so if it's on my eyes, for it to be you know sixteen hours a day, it's gonna be sixteen I, I hours a, a day. As long as you're not sleeping, it, you're gonna it, have it yeah, on. There, there's no reason to pick something out of your pocket. Yeah. After that. So the yep. the last one is the AI powered virtual economy will enable a more egalitarian society. I think that's a highly far fetched notion, yes. but go for it. So so let me let me kind of tell you how I see this playing out, right? Um, if you look at the the uh, working hours of the world versus their productivity in terms of the income level, right? Uh, you you see a very direct uh, correlation in terms of the the higher the productivity, the lower hours of work. Right, going from about twenty five hundred hours to about a thousand hours uh, per year for the average uh, worker, and if we take that to the next level, where if we increase our productivity five x, ten x, you know, hundred x over time with uh, the help of AI and robotics, uh, our need to work goes down to you know, let's say ten hours a week or two hours a week. I know, I know, it's it's been talked about for mm. a long time, but I think that the trends are actually mm -hmm. clear, and we are finally getting to a point where we could probably get there. Now, um, the other thing that I, I, I when I did the study, I, I, I looked at kind of the income levels of people around the world and their uh, happiness level. There's also a direct correlation with income and, and, and yeah. happiness or satisfaction. Yeah. Um, and what we find is that the, the the wealthy nations are not you know one x or two x more more wealthy they're probably 10 or 20 x more wealthy so if you as as the lower income brackets go up by just a few thousand dollars they can dramatically increase their their level happiness. of happiness right so so actually once we increase productivity for the lower income groups to increase their 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 uh uh, value or wealth is actually a, a pretty easy thing to, to happen, particularly if you're willing to do some, some minor redistribution. And by having a global interconnected metaverse, you actually allow that natural redistribution to happen in a way where you actually bring value to both sides. Because anybody in a metaverse actually has the same, um, I guess, the same rights and the same capability to access the rest of the world. You know, we're, we're very fortunate now that we're living, you know, in, in the U.S. where, uh, you know, we're seen as the place that everybody wants to be. So just being born here gave us a lot, of, a lot of advantages. But now if, if the metaverse allows yeah, anybody so, with a device to connect to have that same level of advantage, it then equalizes. A hundred percent. It equalizes the world. So, so we don't need to, everybody don't have to all migrate to the U.S. to get 100%. these advantages. So, so again, you know, you just have to, to think a longer term. These things, uh, I think, will naturally happen. But again, it won't be a straight line. It, it will definitely be some ups and downs and, and you know, uh, before we get there. But I, I think the natural... Uh, path of the uh, uh, of uh, progress from technology will will get us there in the long run. What's one thing that listeners yeah. can should do think about in order to get ready for these new possibilities that are ahead? Yeah, I mean, I think at the at the end of the day, it's it's uh, thinking uh, beyond the present. Right. Because too many of us look right now, you know, about uh, what project I need to do or or, you know, where am I going next? Or, you know, do I have money to do this and, and really start thinking about how you as an individual and as part of a group can contribute to 
solving some of the issues that we've been talking about for the last 100%. hour, right? uh, or at least not not contribute to making it worse. One hundred percent. And 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 maybe getting getting more people around you to start thinking longer yeah. term, to start thinking broader. Uh, and when you start looking at changing your perspective, a lot of questions, the things that, that makes you afraid actually become something that makes you more hopeful. Mm. Uh, and I think once we have hope, then we have the power to to make those changes. So, um, you know, kind of take our head out of the sand a little bit and, and, and really rise above the noise that's happening because there there is a lot of noise and there's a lot of distractions and there's a lot of people with uh, bias um, intentions of trying to get you to do something and thinking about what you can do for yourself for your family for your society and and then take action i i think those are the things that i i, I would recommend and you know uh, reading more broadly you know the more you know the more you can defend against in, the misinformation that will be coming yeah. you know the more you will know for yourself, what's right and wrong, or what you think could be right and wrong, at least uh, not be overly influenced by one perspective. I love it. Not be overly influenced by one perspective. That's brilliant. So the book is Our Next Reality, How the AI-Powered Metaverse Will Reshape the World by Alvin Graylin and Lewis Rosenberg. Is it out already or is it coming out next week? Uh, it's, it's coming out on, on March 5th. I think it's a mandatory reading if you want to be prepared for the inevitable future, and not just be prepared, but sort of take a leadership role in it, which is what I think people should be doing. Make sure to listen, follow, and subscribe for new episodes wherever you get your podcasts and on our YouTube channel.